welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about OKC's roster and the hardship exception, if they'll be able to get one, and what they could do if they did receive the claim. And then I'm also going to be talking about OKC's last couple of games. They played the Timberwolves on Wednesday, had a major three-day break, and then took on on Sunday. So I'll be giving you guys the top performers from that, some of the big takeaways, and what to look for heading into today's game against the Charlotte Hornets. And to top it all off, guys, I'll be giving a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But starting things out with OKC's current injury report, you look at what they have right now they have three season ending injuries Lou Dort's out with the labrum tear Ty Jerome's out with a hernia injury and Mike Muscala is out with an ankle injury they all had their procedures last week and it ruled them out but alongside this there are a lot more injuries on Mark Dagnall's plate and due to this you could tap into the hardship exception as you guys remember the hardship exception was used a lot earlier this year. Whenever COVID was hitting its peak back in December and January, at least in NBA circles, this is when Adam Silver put his foot down. He made a new provision on the hardship deal, and he pretty much said, if you had one guy on health and safety protocol, you could pick up one guy via hardship exception. If you had five players out, you could technically bring on five guys via hardship. So you only needed one player to pick up somebody. That's not how hardship exceptions typically work. On a standard basis, the only time you're using a hardship exception is when you are critically low in terms of player storage. And OKC has been hovering around this for a while now, they finally hit the point, though, that technically they do check the box for a hardship grant. And this comes after 10 different guys have been no-shows post-All-Star break for OKC. We've had the three guys I already mentioned who have been out and they're going to stay out the rest of the year. But there's also multiple guys on the team that don't have a timetable to return and they've been gone for over two weeks. Josh Giddy's been out with a hip injury. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been out with his metatarsal injury. And Kenneth Williams has been out with a knee injury. And that's still not going into some of the other injuries we have seen this team go through. You saw a depleted center unit without favors, Muscala. And Robinson Earl a couple games ago, and Darius Baisley had to play starting center. Also last week, you saw the services of Trey Mann pulled, and Lindy Waters got the starting nod. So they've had to really condense this roster, and it's given a lot of opportunities. Don't get me wrong, Lindy has done a solid job in extra minutes, and so have multiple others, uh, but they've not really had much of a choice. There's not much roster flexibility, and there's no stability with the roster either. Really, what Dagnall has done is he has been rolling out a nine-man rotation with the ninth man sort of being a fluid spot because there's always someone on a day-to-day injury, and then there's always somebody coming back, so you can fill maybe 20 minutes with them, and then 
kind of re-roll the dice on that one come the next game. So it's not exactly where you would like to be at. If this is a playoff team, I'm sure a lot of people would be kicking up some dust on it, but OKC has been rebuilding doesn't mean this hardship exception would not be very valuable to the franchise. And this is coming from league guidelines on what a hardship exception is and kind of what the rules would be to get one right now. A hardship exception can be granted when a team has three members on the roster out for a minimum of three games who are expected to be sidelined for an additional two weeks. Just based off that surface level definition, Oklahoma City checks those boxes. There are about four weeks left in the regular season. Jerome, Dort, and Muscala are going to be gone. That is a no-brainer. However, you even get more pieces of the pie when you factor in Josh Giddy, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Kenrich Williams, three guys who do not have a timetable and have been gone for the last two weeks. Now, part of this definition says an additional two weeks, so all three of them would have to have a grade where they're not going to be playing in the next 14 days, but they've been out for a pretty large chunk of change, and you still have guys like Derek Favors, for example, that haven't played in about 10 days or so, so it spices up the pot on uh, potential options. Needless to say, though, OKC has been extremely hurt by injuries and it should allow them this contract. Now, when you kind of tap into the history of the deal, I talked about what we saw in December, January, actually went up until mid-February before they kind of retweaked the provisions. But prior to COVID, you didn't see this happen too often. You did see it occur last year, though, with the Orlando Magic. Almost identical injury reports. OKC, they've had an injury report nearing about eight, three of those being season-ending injuries. And in Orlando's camp, it's much of the same. They had seven total injuries with two of them being season-ending. They had that in Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. And then additionally, they had those five other players who, you know, were kind of sidelined for a lot of games. So they did get clearance from the league, they got their hardship exception, and they turned around and signed one of OKC's former training camp attendees, Admiral Schofield. He was actually the number one pick in the G League draft last year by the Greensboro Swarm. Now he's on a two-way deal with the Magic, so he's really climbed the ladder, but he was supposed to start out on a 10-day deal with them, and then he rang up as COVID positive, so his deal got axed, and they landed on Dante Hall, another bubble beast from last year, and they just went up and running with that. So, long story short, the league granted the Magic an additional member with near-identical injury statuses, and that really helped them out, at least for where they were. They were dealing with a lot of guard injuries. Now, they probably should have got a point guard, I believe in a couple weeks after that point, that's when they started dipping more into the pool. But you get a guy in Dante Hall who, in my eyes, is a very fun talent. Look at OKC. They're in a spot where they could use some centers. They could use really any position just because they're getting hit one through five right now. But this is a rebuilding team that loves roster exploration. 
Look at how many different guys have suited up in a Thunder jersey the last two seasons. The end tally gets you to 34 different players. And of those, you had about eight or nine where their shot came directly from the G League. And you know that they love to go in-house with some of their signings. And they love painting for some gold. So I think this fits right in with OKC and kind of their current trajectory. They're always trying to find the next Moses Brown type deal where you pick him out of an Exhibit 10 and then they turn into a multi-year contract guy. Now he's not still around, but you still have multiple different guys uh, you could look towards with a deal. And regardless, this doesn't matter to them money-wise. Remember trade deadline season OKC had about 23 million dollars to spend they didn't use it they walked out of the trade deadline with 22 million dollars to spare and the Lindy Waters signing was the last one that dug in deep maybe 400 500k but it's still around 22 million dollars and the way it works is if you don't hit the salary floor all the money you have below it has to be spent on the roster. So everyone on the team would get one fifteenth of $22 million, probably like 1.5 mil, and they'll all be happy campers with it. But OKC spending that money, regardless, they might as well make an effort to place the best team or get the best potential players for next year or just give an opportunity to somebody. So... No monetary hurt would come from this. You just get exceeded opportunities. If there's a guy they like in the G League or there's someone they like on the OKC Blue, now would be the time to do it. And there would really be no punishment uh, for doing so. Now, looking at potential options, let's say they do want to get a hardship exception and they have it granted. They don't have a lot of front court flexibility in the G League right now. They just got Daquan Lake, which I think is a good pickup he's coming from Russia so I don't know how long until we actually see him activated on the team but outside of Lake the Blue don't have centers anymore Olivier Saar was the only true five the Blue have had for the last two weeks but he's been on assignment this whole time they've had Talib Zana who they just waved and they've had DJ Wilson who was with the Raptors probably two weeks ago on a 10 day got waved and then got ruled out for the remainder of the year with a season-ending knee injury. So if you're looking for a center, you're not looking towards the OKC Blue right now. However, if they are looking to pick up a big, the Blue, or just the G League in general really, always seem to have centers. I will say, the cream of the crop, in my eyes, came last year in the bubble. Majority of them got scooped up. Maybe you could go for like a Czech Diallo for a little bit. Good rim runner, good interior presence, not much of a three ball, but good enough energy guy, at least for my eyes. So I guess that'd be my selection. Or you could just stay in-house and maybe not go by position, but just best player available. And I think first you look at Jemias Ramsey. They traded the returning player rights of Chason Randall to get him, which... Honestly, isn't really that much. Randall is on a steady contract in the NBL right now. But if he ever wants to return, he'd be going to the Birmingham squadron. Anyways, former number 40 pick. He's dropped a ton of 20-point outings off the bench thus far. Really good on penetrations. He's been working on the catch and shoot. 
But you also have Xavier Simpson as well, who has just been destroying teams. He's averaged 18.2 points, 6.2 rebounds, and 8.2 assists in the Blues' last five games. This is Captain Hook himself. Post-hook shot started out probably in high school, saw it develop in Michigan, and he's transferred it over pretty well to the G League. And then you could go with your oldest member in the organization with 32-year-old Scotty Hobson. He's fresh off a 38-point outing versus the Valley Vipers. Those games are always really special to watch. The Blue and Rio Grande play again. I'll let you all know because seriously, that might have been the best basketball game I watched in that whole entire week. And there's conference titles on the line from last week. So, yeah, I mean, there's a plethora of options. If they want to look out of the realm of just the OKC Blue, that's kind of where Pandora's box would be opened. Personally, I really liked Melvin Fraser Jr. I think he'd be great for a 10-day experiment. I think after he got offloaded, though, kind of showed you the cards that maybe they weren't all that interested in him. We'll have to see how everything transpires, and we'll have to see if they even get a contract, because that is no guarantee. But that's just the way I've seen it. I've evaluated this roster for about a week or two, and I think they could be in striking distance for a contract uh, and be able to evaluate the market just a little bit more. But before I go into some of the more long-term games, what we saw from the Thunder roster, I want to let you guys know about a really special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple, and if they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools, and everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirements, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But guys, moving along from the rotation, I want to talk about the actual game day rosters the last two weeks and how they have performed in their previous tests. And we're going to start things out on Wednesday going up against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, last week, they played the Timberwolves and they got their heart crushed. This was a redemption shot for the Thunder. When you look at the rotations, kind of the same old, same old here. I mean, you had Roby as the starting center in Minnesota. You had Carl Anthony Towns at the helm as well. Nothing changed. Anthony Edwards actually, I I believe, returned because he wasn't playing the last time 
But Minnesota was really entirely healthy. And then OKC was just gutted. No Trey Mann. No favors. Did have SGA, thankfully. But they only had nine members on roster. And you get this game kicked off. And both sides were just exchanging blows. Multiple different lead changes in the first quarter. You stacked it up to nine and all. Two of those uh, having been ties and OKC looked to be in a neck and neck battle where it's really one possession all the way however they let the final two minutes of the frame really get away from them Minnesota gets on a major run and they walk out of the first 12 minutes up 11 32 to 21 you can thank Malik Beasley for that he shot six of seven from three the Timberwolves went 8 of 14 and all from distance. And then OKC went 2 of 10 in the first quarter from downtown. So you really didn't have that number one option. You're not putting up an absurd amount of points. And on the flip side, Minnesota got hot at the right time. And they carried it on into the second quarter. And they made OKC pay. Walked in with a double digit lead. Walked out of it with an even bigger one. They outscored OKC 42-26 in the second quarter. And they had themselves one heck of a half. Finished with 74 first half points. Didn't have that primary option in the starting unit this time. But Nas Reed, he always seems to give the Thunder troubles. Especially when you don't have the center in the lineup. He comes in for six minutes and drops 12 points and six rebounds, three of three in all, five of six at the foul line. And he didn't have anybody to really combat that. So going in a half, this was one where OKC needed to string up something huge. Down 27 points. Aaron Wiggins was the only light in the tunnel with 15 in the first. He needed to really change the gears going into quarter number three, and they really could not do so. They covered some ground, whittled it down to a 22-point game because they did outscore them by five, but you had to get a major run in the third quarter going. And in the fourth quarter, really much the same, where you started to see the bench units kind of come into full swing, and that was about all. I mean, actually, when you break it down, the Timberwolves were plus four in the second half based on what they did in the fourth quarter. But this was really just a cakewalk in the second half for uh, the Timberwolves crew. And they walked out with a 132-102 to 102 victory at the Paycom. And looking at some of the numbers here first, I mean, it was a career night for multiple different Timberwolves. But one thing that stood out to me, you had two different guys on the Timberwolves roster playing the G League and in this game, typically when you see a Paycom series where, you know, you'll see the blue play at 12 and the Thunder play at like six or seven, for example, you'll see maybe one or two OKC blue guys. If they're on a two way or they're on some sort of deal, they'll play in both games. They'll probably start in the G League one and then sit sidelines for the seconds. But we haven't really seen opposing teams strategize around this. They decided to do so with Nathan Knight and Leandro Balmoro. Nathan Knight had 33 points in the G League game earlier that Wednesday. And then Balmoro added about 21, I think. So both of them were red hot. 
and they both got their opportunity to play in the fourth quarter. Nathan Knight had five, while Morrow, he didn't put any points on the board, but I just find it interesting that they also got to play, and that other teams have worked these experiences into the schedule as well, because OKC offers a scenario that other G League teams really don't have the luxury of having. So I thought that was cool by Minnesota. It's a good call by their management scheduling things, how it panned out. But really delving into the details, Malik Beasley just torched the Thunder. He didn't shoot any twos on the night, just shot three after three. He went 11 of 17. Just a couple games before that, Bojan Bogdanovic set a franchise record with 11 threes of his own. I think he shot 11 of 19. So even better efficiency from Malik Beasley. Really just set it in a cruise control, gave him the ball, get out of the way. Kept yielding the correct results for them. And then they had Terion Prince with 17 points. They had Anthony Edwards with 16. McDaniels had 12. And Cat had 13 and 11 for his double-double. Can't ever leave out Nas Reed. He didn't add any points outside of his major second quarter, but still finished with 12 and 8 on the game. They shot 22 of 52 from distance, about 42%. That's all they needed for this one because OKC could not shoot the ball. They shot 41% in all, 32.6% from the three, and 16 of 24 from foul range. Yeah, I mean. They didn't have their primary source here. Aaron Wiggins had to be the number one option. He went 9 of 19, 5 of 8 from deep for 25 points. I was really impressed by him. But SGA, the man who was getting 30-point outing after 30-point outing, I believe it was 6 of his last 7, or 6 of his, yeah, 6 of his last 7 going into this game, he he dropped uh, 30 points. And the one where he didn't, he dropped 29 he goes 2 of 15 in this game, gets to the line just four times, and has eight points, three rebounds, and eight assists on the evening. You can't do that as your star, and it was about time. Like, he was playing at such a crazy level, you would expect some drop-off. This isn't even a drop-off. This is just a hiccup, and I'm sure he'll be back. I mean, we have hindsight, but I'm sure he'll be back for the next game. So, you know, they were just cramming the paint, making life hell for SGA, ended up working and when your team really can't shoot from distance either you're gonna be set up pretty damn well and that's exactly what happened outside of Wiggins you really didn't have many main contributors on Wednesday's game Baisley had 14 and 5 Roby had 15 points which was pretty good uh, given his status on the rotation and then you had Teo with 12 points he had seven boards to go along with it and Poku, he finished with 11 points and 4 rebounds on 5 of 8 shootings. So, efficiency has been there for him. Lindy Waters, after dropping 16, really dipped. He went 3 of 12, 2 of 20 from distance, and it just wasn't his night. But it wasn't anybody's night in particular. I think you were able to give that one a bit of an excuse going into yesterday's meeting against the Memphis Grizzlies and with this one you get three days of break and you remain at home so you're able to get that work in you're able to take a really nice rest if you would like to as well because let's keep it real three-day breaks really aren't a thing in the NBA um 
Uh, and you get to play a really good team in the Grizzlies, which I'd say that's a rest well spent. The game was supposed to tip off at, I believe, 7. Got delayed a little bit after that because both teams walked out with white uniforms. OKC has been on the streak now for two seasons. Last year, they played a whole half of basketball with the Hawks in red and uh, the Thunder in like bright, bright orange. It was really hard to watch on TV. And then they obviously had to pull the plug and change the unis for the second half. But my goodness, they didn't want to do that again. So they saw the Grizz and the Thunder walk out in white. They told the Grizzlies bench to clear out, go back in the tunnel and change. They walked out in a Navy alternate and they were able to get the game going shortly after. I will say though, that sudden break kind of carried some confusion, not just into uh, the opening parts of the game, but it tapped in later for OKC. They were able to lead to open the game. They were up, I believe, 1-0 and then like 3-2 and they never led again. Wire to wire, the Memphis Grizzlies had this one on lock. They had a really big first quarter. After they broke free of the two lead changes, Memphis finished with 38 points on the frame, and OKC could not really do much about it. Second quarter rolled around. OKC covers a bit of distance, makes it 61-54 to going into the third quarter, but they don't have that really strong push that they needed. They continued to have the door open for Memphis, but they never entirely broke open and took that lead. It was hovering around five to nine points in the third, but it wasn't getting down to one possession. Same goes in the fourth quarter. Darius Baisley was really feeling it from downtown. Turnaround three-point shot brought the Thunder down to single digits, and they kept it way uh, that way until the final buzzer, but like I said, you can't put all the pieces of the pie together. You're going to end up losing... That's exactly what happened on the evening. Got trounced 125 to 118. And all things considered, that is a really good game. The Grizzlies didn't have uh, any significant injuries, truthfully. Their biggest one would probably be Xavier Tillman. And you put in Brandon Clark, you're not going to see much of a difference at all. For OKC, yeah, you had a lot of heavy hitters not appearing for you. So even though OKC lost, this is one where take the good away from it. It's a pretty damn good game for just about everybody on the roster. Now, for Memphis, they just played team-oriented basketball. They had seven different members in double digits. Only one member had over 20 points. That was a Desmond Bain. And John Morant had 17-10 and 10 on the night. So they limited all the stars fairly well. It was kind of just a group effort. And I'd say it's pretty damn good uh, when you're facing... A Grizzlies team with John Morant on it. And they had Steven Adams too. He's making his first return to the Paycom Center with actual fans in there. I know he played last season, but they didn't have attendance the entire year. This time they do. He got an ovation, got himself nine points and 16 rebounds, seven of those offensively. So I'd say he had a pretty good return game himself. And they got the win. On the flip side for OKC, the Rudis didn't have a three ball again. I mean, Memphis shot 38% from deep. OKC, they hit actually more threes. They outshot them 13 to 11, but they took it 
41 times. Just 31.7% in all. The points in the paint were not rolling the same way it was for Memphis. And that was about all she wrote in terms of who's taking that game. But really good individual performances have to start things out with Darius Baisley. Career high 29 points on the game. Had 10 rebounds to go along with it as well. So he was really feeling himself. This is one where it's been a long time coming. I mean, Darius Baisley has been known for being like a boomer bust performer on the roster, but he's never had that major, major breakthrough. This was a game where from all three levels, Darius Baisley was probably the best guy OKC had to offer on the evening. He went 8 of 12 on twos, 3 of 7 from deep, and 4 of 8 from the foul line. If he's able to hit a couple more of those free shots I mean he's gonna have a 30 point game and that's gonna look really good on paper I'm gonna round it up for the case of this it was a hell of a night for Bays. anyways I mean this is one where I don't think it was a gimme you know the Grizzlies have Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark two forwards that are very springy at their size so I'd argue this probably is more difficult than the traditional power forward to at least get around off of penetrations. He did a beautiful job in transition. He has a really good hard gather to him, and he was not shying away from it on this game. He was getting the corner like any time he wanted off the gather. It was just a matter of if he's putting the right amount of power on it or if he was hitting the backboard and it wasn't grazing rim because that did happen on multiple occasions. Easily an A-plus grade from Bays though. You hope he carries it over today against the Charlotte Hornets. Probably P.J. Washington and maybe Miles Bridges will be the matchup for him. Could see a sparkle of Jalen McDaniels. And he's about a 6'10", 210-pound guy. So I could see that one working in Baze's direction. For SGA, he'll also have a hell of a game against LaMelo tonight. Uh, But he had a really good game uh, yesterday. 31 points, that's the team high, 6 rebounds and 7 assists to go along with it, and wow, he didn't even have to tap into all 3 levels guys, 1 of 5 from distance, but his ability to just slash has been spectacular, 14 points in the paint for him, 12 of 12 at the free throw line, and he just did a great great job at bouncing back from an eight-point outing where he really couldn't get it going anywhere. Now he's shooting above 50% from the floor, I believe it was, and he's dropping 30 points for the seventh time post-All-Star break. They've only played nine games, guys, seven of nine times, and then one of them, 29. There's only one outlier with the eight-point game on Wednesday, but he's still averaging over 30 a game, 30.2 in that span. And for Lindy Waters, he's also been balling out. OKC has been a really bad three-point team this year. This isn't a surprise. It's been this way. And they needed to fill up the gap after they got rid of Paul Watson Jr. Brought on Lindy Waters seemed like to be a short-term solution. He's been able to really make a name for himself, though. He dabbled into some pump fakes and some flybys where he's kind of running off the ball, catching it kind of off like a DHO and just letting it fly and he did a really good job tied his career high set last week of 16 points and he hit four triples on the day he honed his off ball skills to the G League actually because with the OKC Blue 
Started out really not on the scouting report. Teams let him be a catch-and-shoot threat. But once teams started stepping up and making him run away from the three, that's when he went off the ball. That's when you started to see the flybys, the pump fakes, and that's when you started to see him really get on NBA radars. And it's looked like it's translated through about three weeks of actual playing time on the Thunder. So I'm very happy to see Lindy Waters playing at this level. I think that's, you know, given the story with the Enid Outlaws like 15 months ago, having a, a smashed European contract where he would have been really gone this year, all these things had to go the right way for him, and it has. I don't know if he's more than just a one-year, two-way contract rental, but he's been a hell of a sharpshooter. He's probably been OKC's second or third best shooter since you started to see everybody come down with injuries but those are the main three at least in my eyes Poku had a really efficient game 10 points and 8 rebounds for him only two turnovers on the game as well and then Trey Mann added 15 points on 5 of 14 shooting 3 of 7 from downtown and 5 assists as well but OKC has their match today against the Charlotte Hornets this one's going to be very fun just the nature of it. LaMelo Ball is there. When you look at some of the history this year between the two sides, ended in pretty good fashion. Now, they don't have Devontae Graham anymore, which would have resulted in another 60-foot bomb to win a game. They still have LaMelo. They got Scary Terry. They got multiple others they can bring to the table. Curious if James Booknight gets a lot of runs. Same goes for maybe like a Kai Jones or uh, JT Thor, I don't know if they'd play unless it really got ugly on either direction, but those are all some fun players to evaluate. Same goes for OKC with all their youngsters. I'd assume they roll out a nine-man rotation yet again, and you get to see Roby at the helm, SGA putting down a lot of points, and LaMelo Ball kind of on the counterattack. This one will come with a lot of fireworks. Hopefully it will come with some highlight reels just given LaMelo's nature, but we will have to wait and see. Big, big night of basketball upcoming for the Thunder. I will have you guys on the loop of it right after the game concludes. And might talk KC Blue as well. We will have to see. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.